My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Today is the feast, brothers and sisters, of St. Philip and St. James. And today we'll be looking at Philip's request that we heard read from the Gospel according to St. John. And in the Gospel of John, we get an extended conversation between Jesus and the disciples right up until his arrest. I don't know if you've picked it. Well, you probably have, right, because you're all good readers of the Bible. Uh, But there's a really long section with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room where he prays for them, where he teaches them, where he tells them about the Holy Spirit and a, a lot of other things that are useful for them and for us. But in this uh, chapter, chapter 14, he goes on to say that if they, the disciples, know him, then they will know the Father. And then he says, in fact, you do know the Father and have seen him, which prompts Philip's request, show us the Father, and it is enough. To set a little bit of context for this, in chapter 13, we have that beautiful passage about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and teaching them about servanthood. And we actually do this every year during Holy Week, during our, te- uh, during our, our Maundy Thursday service. And if you missed it this year, you really should come and join us for this next year with the service of foot washing. He teaches them that none of them are greater than the other, that they are all to love one another as he has loved them. And then we have Judas's betrayal. Is it I, Lord? It is the one in whom, who, uh, who dips the, the bread with me. And then we have his new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And then we have Peter's denial foretold. He says, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And this leads us then into chapter 14, beginning with, after all of this has happened, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and also in me. And then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And we read this sometimes at funerals, right, about how Jesus has gone before us to prepare heaven for us. And that's absolutely true, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. But when you break down what that means, the language is, right, it's, it's speaking towards temporary lodgings, right, like a traveler, because we all await the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He then goes on to say that if they, the disciples, know him, they will know the Father. And then he says, you actually do know the Father, guys. You do. And you've actually even seen the Father. Which leads into Philip's request after Jesus just told him, you have seen the Father and you know the Father. Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. And it is enough. Right? Often I feel like whenever you read the Bible and Jesus is talking to the disciples and one of them, like Peter or Philip, says something a little bit dumb, that Jesus did this a lot, you know? Or if Jesus had glasses, he didn't have glasses. This is just me, right? This is what I do when I'm annoyed. I take off my glasses and I do this. And I probably shouldn't have told you that. So if we're in conversation and I take off my glasses and I do this, it means I'm probably annoyed. I feel like Jesus did that a lot sometimes with his disciples. Jesus responds, Have I been with you so long and you do not know me? How can you say that, Philip? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
And that's an important part right here. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, if you're going to read commentaries, especially from the church fathers, some of them use this opportunity in their, uh, in their commentaries to talk about, about, about Christology, right? And so we talk about, we're going to confess it. Right after the sermon, we're going to confess the Nicene Creed, right? right? And then that's going to lead us into the service of the sacrament, right? We confess in the Nicene Creed that Jesus is God from God, light from God, light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in essence with the Father. And then in the Creed of Chalcedon, it says things like this, which is important, right? Which is why I'm going to read a short bit of it to you today. It says that he is of the same essence as the Father according to his deity, and the same one is of the same essence with us according to his humanity, right? In other words, Jesus has become like us in all ways except without sin. And so these two are important, and commentaries will, will talk about how this phrase, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, is, is fully explicated to us uh, in the scriptures, and then confessed by the church in these, in these creeds. And this is important because this helps us to understand texts like this. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It also helps us when he says, the Father who dwells in me does his works. So let's think about that a little bit. The Father who dwells in me does his works. There's a relationship here between the works of Jesus and the Father's works. In other words, the Father works through the Son. We see this in verse 10. And in the Nicene Creed it says that Jesus was the one through whom all things were made. Right? So it'll say, I believe in one God, even in the Apostles' Creed, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. So the Father works through the Son. Right? The Father works through the Son, through the power of the Spirit. Right? The Holy Trinity. So the works that Jesus did are the Father's works. Because he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And the disciples saw his works. And we get this description in Acts chapter 10, verse 37 to 38. You yourselves know what happened throughout, throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The disciples have seen his works. And by seeing his works, they have seen the Father's works. And then this goes on to say in Acts chapter 10, I think verse 39, it says that all of you are witnesses to this. We were, sorry, Peter saying, we were witnesses to this. Jesus going around healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out evil spirits. And this is all tied in with healing from oppression. Right, which should make us think of uh, Jesus sitting in the synagogue reading from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Jesus, though, doesn't just do all of this on his own. Remember, in the Gospels, what does Jesus do with his disciples? He calls to him the twelve. Jesus gives them power. He gives them authority. And he sends them out. And he says, preach that the kingdom of God is here. And then he says... Then the things that I'm doing, I'm giving you that same authority to heal the sick, to cast out evil spirits. And they do. He sends them out two by two. And what do they come back to him saying? Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Right? So he, not, he sends them out. 
So not, Jesus isn't the only one doing the Father's works, but he brings in the disciples to be part of the works of the Father as well. And then he says, believe on the account of the works themselves, because the works that he accomplishes are signs to his identity. And then he says something very interesting. Greater works will be done by those who believe in me. But Jesus said in chapter 13, right, that he's, they are the servants and he is the master. And the servants are not greater than the masters, but what he does, he does to show them what a servant does. So we know that Jesus is greater than them. Does that mean then that individually each disciple that he's speaking to is going to be, is going to be able to do more powerful works than Jesus himself, the Son of God? No, that's not what that means. He's not saying, you know, Peter, I walked on the water and you kind of sang, but you're, you're going to do even greater works, right? I walked across the Sea of Galilee, you're going to walk across the Atlantic. That's not what it means. The difference isn't in, like, the power scale, but the difference is in the multiplication, right? Because if Jesus is doing the works of the Father, he is going to send out his disciples after Pentecost, empowered by the Spirit, to do the works that he did. To preach the gospel, to preach repentance, to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. That the Spirit of God has been poured out to, to liberate people from the, afresh, the, the oppression of the evil one and from wickedness. Right, so we're talking about multiplication, these works done on a larger scale by more and more and more people. And this multiplies and grows. And I think one of the results we see of this is the conversion of the Roman Empire. And we see the ongoing results of that in our own lives as well. What's interesting to me about this is that Philip is looking for vision. He's looking for a vision of the Father when he's already been living in relationship with the Father. And we know that he's already in relationship with the Father because Jesus said, you know the Father. And he has seen the works that Jesus has done. So he sees the Father through the works of the Son and from following the Son. And we have entered into the story of God's saving acts ourselves. So to ask to see the Father, this is not a good request because we see the Father through the works of the Son. And for us, we see the Father through works done by us in His name. We see the Father through the love we share for one another. We see the Father when we preach a gospel of repentance and the salvation we proclaim, that Christ is risen, that Christ is Lord. For me, when, when thinking about this, Philip's request, show me the Father and it will be enough. It's as if everything that he's experienced, everything that he's seen, isn't enough to convince him. He just needs this one final thing. Well, let me just have a vision of the Father. But here's the thing. When you read the stories, particularly in the Old Testament, of when God shows up, God shows up in what? In thunder, in darkness, in clouds, in fire, in earthquakes, in lightning. That's kind of scary. It can be scary. That's where, when the, God shows up, that's what happens. A vision of the Father is not something that we could really handle. But Philip's like, show me this vision of the Father, and then it's enough. And then it's enough. And nowadays, we have this, this Oprahification of religion, 
right? Here's, I, I think that every human being has at their core that desire to see the Father. Show me the Father, even if they don't know that that's what that is. Because there's a yearning in the human soul for God. There's a yearning in the human soul for something other. There's a, a search in the human soul for something that's sacred, something that's holy. Here's the thing. The things that are sacred and holy aren't just generic feelings of things that are sacred and holy. Those feelings of sacredness, those feelings of holiness that we long for can only be satisfied by Christ. We cannot be satisfied in our search for sacredness and holiness outside. Because what does Jesus say? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. No one. And in our culture, in our day and age, we have millions of different people. Millions, that's like an exaggeration, right? Maybe hundreds or thousands, right? We have a few thousand. Let's put it that way. If you go into a bookstore, there's a new guru selling something, a quick spiritual fix. Um, you know, I don't know, like 15 years ago, it was like the secret, right? Manifest your desires by saying the right things and aligning yourself with the universe. And you can get what you want. Brothers and sisters, that's a quick fix. It's garbage. And I don't know what the latest thing is, but there's always something new. There's always a new guru saying, you can find this, uh, this sacredness, this sense of holiness. You don't need Christ for that. You just need my method. You don't need Christ for that. You can just, you know, embrace, like, uh, take bits and, and bobs from different Eastern religions that you think are cool and kind of trendy, and you can manufacture yourself your own sort of religious belief system cobbled together from different traditions without actually submitting yourself to the teachings of any of those traditions. That's what we do as a culture now. It's buffet-style spirituality because we're searching for the Father, where there's a desire in us to know God. To know God. There's a journalist who wrote about the rise of different religious beliefs named Tara Isabel Burton, she describes this. In her, uh, she wrote a, a wonderful book talking about wellness culture. And she says, in this point of view, if our bodies were once temples to use a popular diet mantra, now they're miniature gods. Our purpose as human beings is to live our best life. Is to live our best life. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to loving one another. He calls us to service. And popular religion and popular spiritualities offer us these quick fixes to help us to, to live our best life, to get rid of toxic people. That's one too, a big one. Maybe somebody in your life who's telling you no, maybe they're not toxic. Maybe you needed to hear somebody tell you no about something. I'm not saying there aren't toxic people, because there are. She goes on to note that this type of approach is essentially at its core nihilism because it's shallow it's vapid this is the modern spiritual landscape and we even see this at times in churches as well God help us the search for the father we deny the son and we wonder why the spirit is absent the spiritual life brothers and sisters is not a quick fix the call to see the Father is not about getting a quick vision. 
We have seen the Father. If we are in Christ, we know the Father through the Son. And we know this because we are going about doing the works of Jesus. So we don't need to seek fads or the latest cool trend. We need to repent, believe the gospel, and obey Christ. And when we do that, we get the vision of the Father in that. And then when we spread that around to others, and they repent and believe the gospel and love and obey and serve Christ, then they get brought into that too. And the shallow wells of modern spirituality that can't address the deepest needs of the human heart, that desire for the Father, to see the Father, is finally realized and brought to completion in and through the Son. As Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.